Welcome to a University of Bath IPR policy podcast. So, uh, thank you for coming straight on after the last session. Um, and we're delighted to welcome you for our um, keynote plenary address. And we're particularly delighted to have with us Professor Nancy Cartwright. Um, you know, there's that usual saying, she needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce her anyway. Um, she's a philosopher and methodologist of the natural and social sciences. Um, she spent the first half of her career at Stanford, working primarily on the philosophy of physics. Um, but uh, hugely importantly for us, she then moved on to the social sciences um, and looking at um, uh, the philosophy and methodology there. And she did that at the LSE and uh, then has more recently moved to Durham. Um, she's focused on um, looking at the issues of scientific real realism, modeling, causal inference, and evidence. And it's this area that she's been writing extensively on in the last few years, including um, a joint book with Jeremy Hardy called Evidence-Based Policy, A Practical Guide to Doing It Better. So all of the um, uh, professional doctorate students would definitely be reading that one. And I think it's probably some thoughts from that she's going to be sharing with us this, this evening. So, Nancy, over to you without any more ado. Thank Great. you for coming. Uh, thank you very much. I'm delighted to have been invited. I'm afraid I'm not going to talk at all about the politics side. I was asked if I could speak about um, what, uh, what the evidence uh, can teach us or some topic like that. And um, I thought that was um, the wrong way around to put it. I don't think evidence uh, indicates very much. And the real question is what we can do with the evidence to build a case uh, for the conclusion that we're interested in. Um, okay. So I'm going to use uh, examples that are probably far away from what most of you are doing so as not to get into any controversies about the real content. Um, suppose you want to predict uh, the effects of a new art program in your school on other learning outcomes, not art, art outcomes, but other learning outcomes. And you're trying to figure out um, whether this program will be um, effective in the ways you think it will. So you might uh, consult, uh, well, here in Britain, you might consult uh, our Education Endowment Foundation. I don't want to be in the midst since many of the a few of the people are located at Durham. I don't want to get into quarrels with them. You might, uh, you might consult the um, OECD's Art for Art's Sake. And it reviews evidence for, um, this is a quote from them, what we know about the impact that arts education could have on our children's academic achievement. Okay. Now, when you look there, here's what you find. We do not have definitive answers. Well, thank God, I don't think there are definitive answers to anything. I'm glad that they recognize that. Um, but then they, um, the question is, why? Or why, in the OECD art for art's sake view, do they not have definitive answers? And um, their reason, well, we are told, because the strongest way to establish a causal connection is via experimental studies, a theme you're all familiar with. And they go on to argue, uh, we don't have many. So we don't have, we OECD can't uh, offer you definitive answers on um, art programs, uh, uh, effect on other outcomes, okay? Uh, but what they do do is, again, this is familiar territory. They review less rigorous studies than 
experimental studies, by which they mean RCTs, of course. Um, they cite meta-analyses, and they provide narrative summaries. But let's go back to that point there, right at the start of why they think they can't give definitive answers, because they think the strongest way to establish a causal connection right, is via experiments. And I'm not going to quarrel with that at the moment. What I'm going to quarrel with is the whole idea of establishing a causal connection. I'm going to make a really prissy philosophical point. I am a philosopher, but this prissy philosophical point really matters in real life, in your lives, and in the lives of the people that we're working with. You can't, okay, the language of establishing a causal connection is talking nonsense. You cannot establish causal connections. You can only establish claims. So what's the claim that's being made? when we're uh, uh, talking in these cases. What claims are the, is the, the yeah, art for art's sake making? Um, you can only establish claims, and what we'd really like, you can only establish well-formulated claims, not ones that actually don't really make a claim, they just sound as if they make a claim. Right? So you can only establish a well-formulated claim. Um, it works ain't a well-formulated claim. So we have, we have all this talk about what works and then about various policies. They work, they don't work. It works is not a well-formulated claim. You can't establish it. You can't provide evidence for it. You can't provide evidence against it. You have to have a well-formulated claim uh, to work with. Okay, so <laughs> that's out the ballpark. Um, what's, this is re the reason I say this really matters is that Thinking you talking as if you can establish a causal connection or you can establish that it works or that it doesn't, that's loose talk. Okay. And just as in the war, loose talk can kill. <laughs> the, the, okay. Okay. So um, I like to distinguish three kinds of causal claims. There's lots of other ways you can divide things up, and philosophers talking about causality do. These aren't the philosophical uh, divisions you'd normally you know, teach in a, um, in a philosophy course on the metaphysics of causality. These are three kinds of claims I see people in your field uh, making um, and conflating together sometimes. So there are what I've labeled with Jeremy Hardy um, so, excuse me, I should also apologize. I am, as suggested, going back to some of the older lessons that I've been arguing for. More recently, I've been uh, really studying context and what it means to say context matters. Um, but what I've realized is that um, I'm assuming sort of the people are on board with me. <laughs> I'm assuming people are on board with me about some of the issues I want to talk about tonight. And, uh, of course, that's not true. Um, and I was just last week at a workshop for the Nature Conservancy, which is a big international um, conservation uh, outfit. And they were doing some of the things that um, they wanted to really think about how to do some of the things that Jeremy and I suggested would be good things to do in our book. And it made me realize that what I really wanted to talk to you about was, you know, <laughs> let's think about doing some of those things. 
Okay. So there are, it works, somewhere claims, um, there are claims about a policy that this particular policy, you know, described in some detail, produces the outcome somewhere, or did produce the outcome somewhere. For example, in that particular study population, there. Okay. That's what you do in post hoc evaluations. That's what you can establish. It worked somewhere. That's what an RCT establishes, if it establishes anything. Okay. General claims um, are the policy produces the outcome widely, or no one ever thinks that when they say it works. It works everywhere. Um, so there's usually some implied, very vague range uh, where but it's a general claim, like, you know, gravity makes things fall, right? Um, without, without such a clear um, assumption that it's universal, but yet somehow it's, if we say it works, it suggests it's, it works widely, so perhaps there's an implied scope. Okay. Um, without an implied scope, it's not a, um, a well-formulated claim, of course. Um, it will work here claims the policy will produce the outcome here. That's the issue, the place we started. I said, imagine you want to introduce a particular arts program in your school uh, to see in, in the hopes that it will affect other learning outcomes in, in particular ways. The policy will work here in my school or in my village, in my country, in my hospital. Okay. Um, or as I'm often worried about how you bring up children, or it will work for my daughters. <laughs> okay. So those are three different kinds of causal claims one can make. Um, and we tend to conflate all three together uh, in talking about it works. Um, for instance, look here. Um, I mentioned when I, I give this, I wasn't looking for something like this. This is the second paragraph in a famous paper, you know, Esther Duflo and Kramer. Kramer I mean, Esther Duflo is the big guru in um, the, J the Jamil Poverty Action League, um, which is really big on international development, um, very big advocate of RCTs. Um, Kramer was involved in the uh, deworming study. Um, so, um, here I found a paper, I was reading this paper, and the second paragraph, it suddenly stood out to me, the benefits of knowing which programs, so what, what's happening in this is in one sentence, right, all three kinds of causal claims are run together, without mention as if there's no shift from one to another. So the benefits of knowing which programs work, well, I think which programs work sounds like that's a kind of general claim. Uh, this program works most everywhere or most everywhere in East Africa or most everywhere. Um, okay. Uh, well, my friend that I write with uh, sometimes studies HIV AIDS policies in Sub-Saharan Africa. So maybe it works in Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. He doesn't think that's possible. But <laughs> uh, So the benefits of knowing which programs work extend far beyond any program or agency incredible impact evaluations. Now, impact evaluation evaluates the impact that a program had. Now, I know that um, a lot of evaluators say, well, well, they're, you know, when they're doing an evaluation, they're, they're looking for something generalizable. But there's nothing about what you do in the impact evaluation about what happened in this case that by itself has got anything to do with generalizability. You, you, know, you can establish 
um, that the particular policy worked here, in this case, um, and then if you want to go beyond that, to it works somewhere else, that requires additional work. Okay. So impact evaluations are at work somewhere, and reliable guidance sure sounds like it'll work here or there or in this new setting. Okay, so one paragraph, um, second paragraph in the paper, one sentence runs all three sentences together. Um, let's think about it will work here, which is, <clears throat> which is the sense I was interested in at the beginning. Um, it worked somewhere may be a part of the evidence base for the claim it will work here. So I don't want to deny at all that it will, that it worked somewhere is evidence uh, that it will work here. But it's a small part. And you have to have a lot, lot more work. I mean, after all, uh, somebody won the lottery. That's very, very small part of some evidence body that I will win it. And now we, 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 we do, we laugh at this kind of case, but that's because, um, I don't know, somehow you take it not to be typical. Right? You somehow think that you, the human societies or human beings are, I mean, we, you don't actually think that, but when moving, when thinking that, um, Having shown it works somewhere is very much evidence that it will work here. Once making some kind of assumption about uh, that here and there um, are really alike in the right ways. And then you don't have a clue what the right ways are. Okay. So it's a small part. I think instead what you need is lots more evidence. And it has to be very different in kind from the, just the evidence that it works somewhere. And you need different methods for amalgamating this evidence. So that's, um, so again, will this policy work here? Well, I want to talk a bit about how to amalgamate the evidence because that will uh, bring us back to what kinds of evidence one needs to amalgamate in the first place. Okay. Uh, what's available, um, most readily available for amalgamating the uh, evidence, especially where RCTs are in the ascendancy, we tend to find meta-analyses, systematic reviews, and various evidence weighting and voting schemes. Um, for instance, uh, at the Nature Conservancy, I forgot, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the name of the organization at, uh, at Cambridge that Will Sutherland is, uh, Bill Sutherland is the head of. Um, but you know, he's very um, interested in getting experts together and what kind of techniques one should use to, help, to get the experts to amalgamate the evidence for you. Okay. Um, and so we know there are those kind of schemes. Uh, there are, that's, a, that's a kind of almost a, like a voting scheme uh, and how you organize that. Um, there are weighing schemes. Some kinds of evidence are supposed to weigh more than others. Sometimes, you know, when you go to a what works center, uh, you see that there's lots of weak evidence, and I'm not quite sure what you're supposed to make of that, but you know, you're sp that's a kind of summary, at least, if not an amalgamation. So um, what's available are meta-analyses, systematic reviews, various evidence weighting and voting schemes. If you know more, do tell me, okay, because I you know, really want to uh, work on amalgamating. I call all of these weight of evidence schemes. I, I don't really care what we call them. Um, I'm going to explain uh, immediately 
a way in which they're all alike. Okay. They're all schemes for what I call homogenous evidence. Again, if you can think of some terms that would be more useful to you in thinking about it, but it's an idea I want to, to, to get us to grasp. Um, homogenous evidence is when all the pieces of the evidence speak to the same claim. So something like um, the um, you want to establish, you might want to establish that a particular, the, the arts program I introduced into my school, and it cost quite a lot of money, that it really did produce an improvement in reading outcomes, and you might have various ways to try to substantiate or evidence that one thing. You might have done an RCT, okay, and um, that would be you know, one piece of evidence that that program worked in that place. Um, you might have done, somebody else might have done um, a different uh, study uh, at the same time. Um, they would be all about the claim, this, the whole claim that this uh, policy worked in this setting, did already work in this setting. Um, they speak to the same claim. Um, what I think you need to accumulate if you want a really good prediction uh, and really want to have a good evaluation of that claim that if I introduce this arts policy in my school, it's likely to improve reading outcomes. You need to accumulate uh, what I'm calling heterogeneous evidence. Um, and the, that means, um, and for heterogeneous evidence, weight of evidence schemes don't apply because it assumes, weight of evidence schemes assume that everything's bearing on exactly the same claim and more or less uh, the same way, and you just need to weigh up. I mean, some of the evidence is positive, some's negative, some says the effect size is little, some says it's big. <laughs> you need somehow to combine all that, weigh it up. Um, but when you have heterogeneous evidence where you actually are looking at a huge variety of different claims, all of which bear on the claim you're interested in, um, then weight of evidence schemes won't apply. So I think you need what I call to build a case. So let's go back. There are three kinds of causal claim. Okay. Um, now, RCTs provide what I call standalone evidence for the first kind of claim. It works somewhere claim. So in an RCT, it provides evidence. It can stand by itself as a piece of evidence for a kind of claim. It works somewhere. And um, the evidence, I don't want to say that, I don't mean by this that the evidence claim can be safe. That can be, or you know, it, um, what I want to mean by it can be safe is that the support that this um, RCT result, the support that the RCT result supplies for the claim you're interested in, right, um, can be very secure, very stable. Right? It can provide very good support for the claim you're interested in. So in particular, I did the, I introduced the arts program. We got our good evaluators out. They did a really good RCT. Um, you know, it was quadruple blinded. Sure it was. How can you quadruple blind whether you're getting the arts program or not? It was quadruple blinded. It had a large study population. No, of course it didn't. <laughs> um, and there was a lot of policing and monitoring that there was no 
post-randomization, systematic differences introduced in the, uh, the two groups that weren't con wasn't controlled by blinding. So we've got a really, really good RCT, and it provides very stable, safe, I mean, the support it provides right, is very stable, very safe. Um, but on the other hand, you could have um, RCTs that <laughs> they do support the conclusion, but they're, <laughs> they don't support it very securely. So it's not a matter of, you know, uh, some, okay. Um, so there's a contrast there between, but in, in both cases, what the RCT is doing is all by itself, it's holding up the, uh, it works, it worked somewhere, it worked, you know, in, uh, in my school claim. Now for three, which is the it will work here claims, I think uh, we need a diverse team of evidence and again, this diverse team of evidence can support the conclusion very strongly, can very, you know, very safe. You get the evidence together, and you've got a very, very strong, stable case for the, uh, for the conclusion. Or um, it could be insecure. So it's not a matter of security versus insecurity, how well the evidence supports the conclusion. It's what types of evidence you need in the first place to really bear on the conclusion. And, um, I want to look at cases where we're going to be using heterogeneous evidence. Okay. Uh, so, what's in the team? Was that 20 minutes? Thank you. Uh, what's in the team? Remember I said we've got this um, team here of diverse evidence that uh, we're hoping will support our conclusion. Um, what's in the team? Well, you need evidence for facts about, so I'm going to tell you what facts right, need to be in place in order for the prediction to hold, and then you need evidence for those facts. So that we've got, a, I want to point out, a variety of different kinds of facts without which you won't get the outcome. And my sort of brute force way of thinking about it is those facts have to be in place or you don't get the outcome. And so when I want evidence, I want evidence that each of those facts will be in place. So I want to talk to you now about you know, we need diverse forms of evidence because we've got a great diversity of kinds of facts that um, will be needed if the outcome that we're predicting is really going to happen. And then I think these are again familiar to you, uh, but somehow we tend to go for the, um, uh, the uh, shortcut that doesn't work. So um, I'm going to talk, there are three things that, again, this is a way of dividing it up. Uh, one can look at it differently, but I think this is a useful way to divide it up. There are support factors, which many people call moderator variables. I'm going to explain each of them. Um, there are intermediate steps, which are called mediator variables in some literatures. Um, and there's underlying structure. You know, what kind of socioeconomic cultural structure is there in the first place um, uh, that is affording uh, some causal pathways and preventing others? Um, I'm going to talk about these two today. The third one is the one I said I've been working on um, a lot recently, uh, but I want to go back and uh, review uh, the first two because uh, I was excited to see uh, Nature Conservancy um, you know, looking at these. And it's really the, f it made me realize that it was the first time I've been in a meeting. I get invited as a kind of 
methodologist right? <laughs> to different groups and um, and I get to listen to a lot of different kinds of people you know people doing development economics and people doing child welfare and people doing uh, certain kinds of medical interventions uh, but which I you know I don't know very much about it but I get to listen a lot and I'm very seldom do I see us doing this kind of thing so I just want to review it and not go on with the underlying structures which is a, um, a different topic that takes a bit of uh, a, a bit of explaining okay so support factors I'm going to use uh, an example uh, from a um, friend who uh, works on homework in the US um, Homework may produce higher test scores. This is condensation, of course. You have to say what kind of homework, <laughs> higher test scores, et cetera, et cetera. But homework may produce higher test scores, but not without support or moderator variables to be in place. Um, this is uh, one set of moderator variables, homework, student motivation, student abilities, study space. Um, these conditions are necessary. Well, they're not necessary for the homework always to do some good, but to achieve the level of effectiveness that um, in this study uh, this person was um, looking for. If any of these are missing, you don't get that level of effectiveness. You, you, homework might be trying to push. Uh, in fact, sometimes um, you can see that I mean, if too many of them are missing, sometimes homework has negative effects. Um, uh, and um, the students get dispirited or they get disdainful, uh, becomes cool not to do it, it becomes cool actually to not, not pay attention, etc. So anyway, homework, um, standard kind of example, and you know epidemiolo epidemiologists use this causal pie picture uh, to graph uh, the kinds of things that have, um, are um, important. And almost always when we try to graph things that might be important about whether homework will work here in this school and what kinds of things have to be in place, uh, maybe it's, we should give it up because our teachers don't have time or skill to give proper feedback. So maybe you should do something other than homework, uh, et cetera. Um, when we graph this, we almost always have a big section for other. There's a whole lot of stuff we just don't have a clue. We think that will affect it. Uh, but you know, there are some things that we've got pretty good reason to think will affect whether the homework will work here. Um, um, and what, uh, what we need then is evidence both that these are the factors that will help homework achieve its results here and that these are in place in my school or if they're not in place that I can get them in my school or um, that I can perhaps find um, you know, this might not be the only causal pie that has homework in it. There might be some other arrangement of things like an after-school club when there's not enough uh, study space and supportive family. Okay, but you've got to you have to remember that homework. That none of the policies we think about work on their own. They all have support factors. They're just the kind of salient variable in a causal pie. Then the next thing is um, how you get from the starting cause to the final outcome. Okay. Almost nothing just follows almost immediately in time. Most everything has you know, a stretch of a lot of intermediate space in time. Um, and you can, cut, think it, you can cut it up. You're thinking about it in various 
ways, slice it up, but you know, the starting cause simply doesn't immediately produce um, the final outcome. So, um, oh, besides, oh, so here's what, sorry. Um, I'm moving ahead too soon. I'm going to show you uh, how I think about graphing support factors first before I go on to the, the moderator, the mediator variables. So um, if you're thinking just, if you, so far, let's do, we're just thinking about the relationship between the starting cause and the final outcome, even though we know stretch of time in between. I'm going to come to that. Um, if you start with the starting cause and the final outcome, right, like homework, is the and the final outcome is better reading scores, say, or better geography scores, um, there are going to be causal pies that are relevant, moderators. So I tend, instead of graphing them with boxes the way we conventionally do, I tend to graph them with wedges, <laughs> the starting and the final one, to remind us that whatever the policy is that we're thinking about, like homework or introducing the arts program, it's just a wedge and a causal pie that could possibly have the outcome, um, uh, lead to the outcome. And then to remind ourselves that um, some causal pies that might be in place, some, you know, some of the other factors that might be in place, um, will have a positive outcome, a positive tendency towards um, the outcome. Some may have a negative one. And homework can, um, if you've got the wrong causal pies, um, the wrong support factors, the wrong um, moder moderator variables, homework can uh, have negative effects. So when we're doing our, for instance, theory of change, <laughs> I like to draw them this way uh, to remind us uh, that uh, we have to consider not just the start and the, end of, and the end, we have to consider what the helping factors are, the support factors, the moderator variables that will provide uh, you know, positive input and negative. Okay, so those, these are all the facts. I'm trying to graph provide a structure for graphing the facts that matter. I haven't talked about any evidence yet. <laughs> you know, um, I didn't talk about sorry, how we get evidence that the students are motivated in my school or that there's ample study space at home for them. I'm only talking about the facts that have to obtain if my homework is going to work in my school. Ten minutes. Ten. Thank you. So we've got the support factors, which I want to uh, remind us of by doing this kind of a, a theory of change of what I think is going to happen. And then let's go into intermediate, uh, intermediates or mediators, and that's where I was telling you the story about we know there's a long period of time and space and what happens in the middle, and you need to think about what happens in the middle. Um, if you don't think about what happens in the middle, you know that condensed picture I just showed you, you won't know what the support factors are. Um, because lots of things can <laughs> need to be in place as time moves along. So I want to think about mediators. So, you know, yeah, yeah, this is familiar. You have starting cause, intermediate, 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 as many intermediates as seems useful uh, and necessary to get a good grasp on the causal process by which the cause, the policy is supposed to lead to the final outcome. Um, well, um, I do it this way, right, because at each stage, the thing that leaps to mind is the intermediate that you're going to put in your, uh, your causal diagram or your theory of change. It's just a wedge, right? Each one of those, uh, if, the, first, if the, the very first step is going to lead on to the second step, 
um, like you tell your teachers that we now have a new policy there make to make sure there's an hour of homework assigned a night. <laughs> the next thing that has to happen is the teachers actually assign it. <laughs> uh, and you're telling them might have no effect if it's in one of those situations where the, you, the, the head has no real control over what the teachers are doing, and they're overworked, and they think it's a bad idea, and they're not used to doing it, et cetera. So each stage, um, to lead on to the next, will have its own support factors that are necessary. So first, you know, you've got, uh, so each of those intermediate stages should be thought of as just a wedge, and then what you, combining the two ideas, <laughs> I like to do this kind of a diagram, that um, you're starting with, um, you know, each stage you need to know, you, in, in the ideal case, to make the best predictions. Um, these are the facts, and this is a graph of the kind of facts that have to be in place if in, indeed we're going to get from over there to over here. Okay. So now I've laid out a nice graph of my theory of change. Okay. Um, what RCTs support <laughs> is policy may contribute to the outcome. I mean, they just go Pfft! Right? Um, and it does contribute, show, contribute that it may contribute to the outcome because it shows it did it somewhere. And maybe it did it in two or three somewheres. Um, you know, one swan is white, two swans are white, three swans are white, all swans are white. Well, you know, it's not good enough. <laughs> all right, so it just, I think one wants to be really careful. Uh, RCTs can be very powerful. And actually, I think that very often they're used um, and and used as evidence in a case where we make a lot of implicit assumptions and have a lot of implicit knowledge about just the kind of things that need to be uh, the same between the two situations. But if that's not all laid out explicitly and rigorously, <laughs> um, then you're uh, applying double standards. You've got this very strong standard about the establishing a result that it worked somewhere and then deciding where else um, the, what the other things are in place uh, is um, left to um, just wing it. Okay, so um, RCT support that. What I'm interested in, what I think you need, we need to make these policy predictions um, are um, we need evidence that each of these steps will follow one another. If they don't, then it's, uh, it's just luck if you get your outcome. You're not getting it the way you think, at least. Um, and you certainly don't have evidence that you're going to get it if, you know. So you need, you need evidence that each of these steps will be in place. That means <laughs> you want to have evidence that the negative pies are either not there. I mean, these are the ones that, if they were there, would have a negative effect on step by step by step. Um, so these are the facts that you'd like not to hold, or you, perhaps you've got ways of eliminating them, but you need evidence about that. Okay, I mean, these, these pies have got either not to hold or not to be strong enough to overcome, at each step, right, either not be there at all, not hold you know, in your environment, or their effects aren't strong enough to overcome the positive ones. So again, you've got to know what are in those pies. That's a tall order. But, but that's what's going on in, in reality. And when we want to have sort of a good evidence base that our policy is working, um, this is the kind of thing that uh, we, um, you know, we're betting on. And you can bet on it by winging it, or you can bet on it by trying to think through um, 
what kind of evidence you could have about, uh, about these issues. Okay, so how to build a solid case, says me, this difficult, life is difficult. Uh, you know that policies fail all the time, sometimes they work, we don't know why, they work some places, not others. Um, well, I think it's because you know, uh, they, we've seen what it takes for the policy to lead to kinds of things it takes for the policy to lead to the final outcome. We need to know they're there. So how do you build a solid case? You provide evidence for, this is the solidest case. And then when you can't do this, it's important to recognize that your case isn't nearly as solid as it might be. And hedge your bets or monitor more carefully, be prepared to change direction, except whatever you, you know, is preparation for, um, you know, uh, what to do in case things start to go wrong. Okay. So you need to provide evidence for all the facts that are necessary for the outcome. And in that case, the evidence pieces support the overall conclusion by supporting claims about these facts. But you notice that, I mean, the reason I call, said this was heterogeneous evidence is that you've got quite a lot of different kinds of things you have to find out. Is there ample study space? Is study space actually necessary for these students? Can we do something other than supply? I mean, if they don't have ample study space at home, is there something that could, is there another causal pie that would work instead? Okay. So I think the evidence, you have to, in my view, the evidence pieces support the overall conclusion by supporting claims about these facts. And no piece is standalone evidence for the conclusion. So building a case. I use the analogy of a court case. A court case appears weak sometimes. Um, and then, yeah, we all watch these things. Maybe you probably don't. I watch too many of them on television. <laughs> um, then we get evidence about some critical fact that makes the case fit together and explains how the crime occurred. Right? So you're, get, you're getting evidence about a lot of different, you're getting a lot of different pieces of evidence about a lot of different kinds of facts. And those facts fit together to tell a story <laughs> to, uh, leads from the perpetrator to the crime. Okay. So the evidence supports, we need different kinds of evidence because we need to support different kinds of facts which then fit together. So um, like <laughs> we need evidence for all of those, right? And sometimes, I mean this is a case where you got just, <laughs> we didn't know about that one. We got that one and that one, uh, and that one, and suddenly, you know, the whole thing hung together. So I would just want to now summarize and give one last example. Um, nothing is ever standalone evidence, says me. What matters is the relations among the evidence pieces or the, how they support the, the facts and how the facts fit together. Um, so how different pieces of evidence for different aspects of the process from policy to outcome fit together. And I'm going to give you an example to show. Uh, you, some of you might have seen me uh, do this before, um, how it's done and how it can fall apart. So um, another one of these mysteries, Freeman Wills Crofts wrote, um, writes about Inspector French. And Inspector French is uh, looking at, um, he has the hypothesis and has built a very strong case that um, Kerry murdered Ackerley. And he's got, you know, these boxes are all filled in. I mean, it'd be very boring to tell you the whole story, but they're filled in. But one of the things is that the reason Kerry murdered Ackerley was Ackerley knew Kerry was involved in a fraud. Um, and that's supported by some 
reason to think that Kerry was responsible for the fraud, like there was extra money in his bank account, so there was that didn't seem to have any source, um, that uh, Ackerley had raised a suspicion about it, and that fraud was actually committed. That all, uh, those are all the facts that supported that um, Ackerley uh, knew Kerry was involved in the fraud. Um, then Kerry hung himself, presumably hung himself because he was afraid he was going to be found out about the fraud and he couldn't face it. He had means for the fraud, he had too much money, etc. Okay, so that's the kind of story you can imagine filling in uh, the other boxes. Um, now, uh, what happens is, sorry, let's go back one. Um, I'm supposed to have an X coming along. Um, it turns out that finally French gets some convincing evidence quite contrary to what he had at the first indicators that Kerry did not hang himself. He was murdered. So here's the dialogue with French and his superior. His boss says, this is going to mean an upset to your theory, inspector. The French nodded. Complete. I've got to start from the beginning again. Is it as bad as that? I think so. This murder of Kerry makes it unlikely that he killed Ackerley. And if he didn't kill Ackerley, the whole of my theory goes west. Okay, this is why I'm so keen on thinking about these causal diagrams and the different facts that have to be put in place and what the evidence for them is, because your whole theory can go west pretty easily. That's, we know that, but um, it's really important, I think, to keep it in mind. So let's, um, what, uh, so if we think about this, what about all that putative evidence that French painstakingly gathered? So he gathered evidence for all those different facts I put in the chart. Well, it's no longer evidence. It's only evidence relative to the case he was building and all the other facts that he had, ev had evidence for and the story about how those facts fitted together. Without evidence that Kerry committed suicide, the argument that Kerry did the fraud fails. Okay? And without the premise that Kerry did the fraud, motive fails. And without motive, the claim that Kerry murdered Ackerley is no longer supported. All that stuff becomes irrelevant, even though it's all, might all, I mean, everything established, all those facts might be true. They're not relevant any longer. The evidence for those facts, sorry, is no longer relevant as evidence that Kerry killed Ackerley. Okay. So that becomes irrelevant. That fact becomes irrelevant, and the evidence that supports that fact is no longer evidence for the overall conclusion up there. Okay. That becomes irrelevant, that becomes irrelevant, that becomes irrelevant, etc. Okay. And nothing that counted as evidence before, or I mean many things, right, until he builds a new case uh, and then shows how the, you know, the different pieces of evidence support the different facts that build together to make the case. Nothing that counted as evidence before uh, counts as evidence any longer. Conclusions. For it works somewhere claims RCTs and observational studies as well provide standalone evidence. Okay? For it works somewhere claims. They might be strong support or weak support, but they provide they are support for uh, it works uh, somewhere. There's no, so, as far as I can see, there's no standalone evidence for it will work here. Each piece depends on the status of the rest and on what the total case is. You have to build a case, and each piece. It only counts as evidence because it's you know, evidence for a fact in a good, in a good case. And the problem is <laughs> um, that we all face 
as researchers and policymakers, policy implementers. There's no set methods for providing evidence for what we want to know. You can have a set method for, and it works somewhere, claim. The set method is an RCT or a certain kind of observational study, process tracing, et cetera. There are a variety of set methods for the it works somewhere claims. Um, there are no set methods for this business of building a case. Okay. Policy pro problem is that policy prediction cannot be done by manual much as we would like it to be possible. So, as my co-author Jeremy Hardy says, it's case by case. Right? There's no manual. There's some advice, <laughs> but there's no manual. You have to think. Okay. So thank you. <laughs>